What's a parable? Why did Jesus use them? How can we apply them to our lives? Today we're going to answer all these questions and much more. Stick around. Doable Discipleship's back. First episode of the new year, and we're kicking off not just first episode of the new year, like it's January 1st. That's right. We've never released an episode. It's literally the day, the New Year's Day. This year was crazy. We released a Christmas Day episode and a New Year's Day episode back to back weeks. Yeah. Look at that. It's because we love you. Yeah, we do. We follow through. We said every Tuesday, and by gum, it's going to be every Tuesday. (laughs) By by gum, that's (laughs) so true. So we're starting a new series today. We're going to kick off a whole slew of episodes about the parables of Jesus. Yes, Uh, but first we just wanted to uh, let you all know just some things that our team has coming up this month. Um, First, uh, Financial Freedom Ministries has a whole ton of different um, ways that you can take control of your finances, learn what the Bible says about managing your money, that all, all that good stuff. So it uh, it kicks off at the end of this month, January 24th, I believe, with a um, budget workshop that's here at the Lake Forest campus. And then in February starts a few different courses. Um, so you can check those out at saddleback.com slash personal finances. And we're kicking off the Daniel plan uh, for 2019 also. So if you need to take control of your health, if you want more energy, if you want to feel like God can use you and you won't get uh, tired and, and feel gross from it, then uh, <laughs> come to the Daniel plan. Our kickoff event is... Um, on January 19th, Saturday morning here at the Lake Forest campus. If you don't live here, you can watch the webcast live. That will be at saddleback.com slash Daniel plan. You can find out all that info. Yeah, we'll put all the links in the show notes for you in case you forgot all that stuff. But how perfect. Start of the new year. Get your finances together. Get your physical health together. We got lots of other good good stuff, too, that we'll talk about in later episodes. Naturally. All right, let's talk about the parables of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Today, we'll begin with an overview of biblical parables, and specifically, we'll talk about how they work. And in the coming weeks, we're going to discuss the seven key themes found in the parables of Jesus and how you can apply them to your own life. Now, there are more than seven themes, naturally, but we're going to focus on the seven of the key themes that Jesus uh, taught often in his parables that he kept coming back to that he repeated. So let's begin with a really basic question. You might know the answer to this, or you might not, or you might think you do, but you don't. Who knows? There are so many oh. options. Uh, first question is going to be a very simple one. What is a parable? We're sometimes called to uh, call that as a parable. Yes, right. Well, yes, and we'll talk about that in just a moment. So a parable <clears throat> is an illustrative story in which an unfamiliar idea is placed alongside a familiar idea so that the unfamiliar idea might become easier for the listener to grasp. So in a parable, certain features are intended to serve as analogies or parallels to convey important principles. <clears throat> the word parable actually comes from the Greek paraboli, uh, and if you recognize the word, uh, the the prefix para, is that prefix? The first part of the word is prefix, right? Yes, and good job. Prefix and suffix, right? Am I Bringing that? back your English <laughs> yeah. uh, classes. Except it's Greek, but the, the, the rules still apply. <clears throat> so para means beside. So uh, you know, anytime you hear the word para in, in any word, it's probably coming from the Greek, which meaning alongside or beside. Like a parameter. <clears throat> yes. Uh, or a paramedic. Or a parabolic. Or a parachurch organization. Works beside or a parachute. 
We could do this all day. How does that one work? Parachute. It's beside you. It's on your beside. back. What's the shoot? I guess. Shoot. Oh, it's a shoot. It's the shoot that's yeah. beside you. Oh, I get it. Yeah. Uh, wow, we really got lost there. <laughs> uh, so para means beside, and balo, the Greek balo, means to cast or throw. So in a really basic sense, the word parable means to cast beside. Now, in essence, to tell a parable just means to cast or to throw one idea alongside another. So just like we said, a parable is a story that throws one familiar concept alongside an unfamiliar concept so that you will understand the unfamiliar concept by the connection in the story. So parables are found throughout the Bible, and they appear to be God's, uh, if not his favorite, one of his favorite teaching techniques, because we find them not only in the New Testament with Jesus, but in the Old Testament as well, which we'll discuss in just a few minutes. That's true. So what makes parables so powerful, right? Um, Since... But parables are stories that they tap into our natural curiosity and can bypass many of our defenses. Sometimes our defenses come straight up if we're being like explicitly told this, 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 this. But you know, if if it's a story, if it's a parable, you know, we can oftentimes get kind of sucked into it, and then uh, we don't even know we're being taught. Mm-hmm. Um, everyone, everyone loves a good story, right? You can imagine like times around the campfire or whatever, you're hearing these great good stories. Everyone loves a good story. A parable now has all the appeal of a story, but also carries a powerful message. This means that a parable can penetrate a stubborn heart or help a person see a situation in a new light. <clears throat> yeah, we talked about that when we talked, uh, we discussed a few weeks back in an episode about cinema's devotion. We talked about... Um, we talked about how stories have this really incredible power to draw us in and kind of helps us set aside some of our predispositions or our biases or that kind of stuff. Uh, and let's just, just kind of, like Jason said, get sucked into the story. Uh, and then um, we sort of end up with our defenses down being faced with an important principle. And we're going to look at a, a really classic, actually Old Testament example of this that I think illustrates the power of the parable so perfectly. Now, <clears throat> Let me just get this cough out of the way. <clears throat> there we oh, are. He's back. <clears throat> Here I am. So we're, we're going to be talking about Nathan, the prophet Nathan's confrontation with King David. And this comes from 2 Samuel chapter 12. Actually, it starts in the end of chapter 11 and then goes into chapter 12, actually. Um, but if you remember from reading 2 Samuel in your quiet time or in a previous study, I hope you have. If not, you should really check out 2 Samuel. I, you I read just it recently. read both of them, yeah, earlier this year, or last year. And um, yeah, they're, they're great. Oh yeah, they're really good. Mm. So King David, if you remember <clears throat> from previous sermon studies or your own reading, uh, committed a grave sin against the Lord. He, um, he looked out his window and he saw a woman named Bathsheba. And he decided, Bathsheba was married, by the way, to a man named Uriah the Hittite. David decided that he would bring her to the palace and commit adultery with her. So while Uriah is away at war, David decides to have sex with Bathsheba and sins against the Lord. Uh, then he finds out that Bathsheba has become pregnant because of their affair. And David decides to add insult to injury by giving a command that would put Uriah on the front lines of battle so that he would most certainly die. He, in fact, does die. <clears throat> and in this whole process, David becomes guilty not only of adultery but also of murder because he, in a premeditated way, placed Uriah in a situation where he knew he would die so that his shame of his affair would be covered up. Now, <clears throat> Nathan's going to have none of that. Nathan is like, no, not in my house. <laughs> or actually, God is <laughs> not, because God sends the prophet God Nathan. God sends Nathan, yeah. 
And interestingly, uh, the story starts off, 2 Samuel chapter 12, verses 1 through 7 is what we'll be reading here um, in this first portion. Then we'll come back to verse 13 at the end. Um, But it says, the Lord sent Nathan the prophet to tell David this story. So this is actually not a story that Nathan necessarily concocted on his own. It seems apparent that God actually gave this story directly to Nathan and said, go Go do this. So again, we see that God loves to use parables as instructional tools. All right, let's begin this story together. It's it's pretty short. We're trimming it down just for ease here. So the first section is verse 1 through 7. It says, So the Lord sent Nathan the prophet to tell David this story. And the story goes like this. There were two men in a certain town. One was rich and one was poor. The rich man owned a great many sheep and cattle. The poor man owned nothing but one little lamb he had bought. He raised that little lamb, and it grew up with his children. It ate from the man's own plate and drank from his cup. He cuddled it in his arms like a baby daughter. One day, a guest arrived at home, at the home of the rich man, but instead of killing an animal from his own flock or herd, he took the poor man's lamb and killed it and prepared it for his guest. David was furious when he heard this story. As surely as the Lord lives, he vowed, any man who would do such a thing deserves to die. He must repay four lambs to the poor man for the one he stole and for having no pity. And then Nathan said to David, you are the man. And then there's this a few verses there where Nathan enunciates David's sins and he says, this is all the things that you've done and this is what I've come to confront you about. The Lord has sent me to you. And David responds in verse 13. It says, then David confessed to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And then, you know, Nathan outlines some consequences that David will have to face as a result of this. Yeah, this is a truly ingenious parable that is found in the Old Testament. Because, let's break this down a little bit. David himself had once been a shepherd boy, so he was able to personally identify with the poor man in the story. And then his sense of justice was activated, and he became, as as the, as the passage says, furious. But when Nathan then flips the script and reveals that parallel to David, I love that at the end, uh, you are the man. David's like, ah, oh, I was He's really like, into this what? story. No. Dang. Um, yeah. guy, so when Nathan does that, David was crushed, and he realized how truly despicable his actions had been. He had been brought into the story. He had been absorbed in it. He had been personally, like, had actually gotten upset and actually says, this man deserves to die. He must repay for sheep and whatnot. And then Nathan says, uh, I was talking about you. Hmm. You need to turn all of that, everything you just felt, onto yourself. Yeah, it, I, I think that's one of the keys to parables, and we'll we'll see that more as we continue mm-hmm. in the series. But the whole, I think one of the ways that parables are so powerful is because the listener places themselves in the story, but often not it's revealed the, to mm-hmm. them that they place themselves incorrectly. Yep, that they're not the person they thought they were in that story. Totally. David sees himself as the one who will bring justice to this terrible, wicked situation, but in fact, he's the perpetrator. Yeah, there's great examples of that <clears throat> that we'll cover in the next few weeks. But oh, yeah. and in this way, parables really are are similar to music, and it's really interesting because you know a song, music is just able to pass through our mental defenses, like we talked about, and in 
you get into the rhythm, you get into the beat, it sounds cool, you start to learn the lyrics or whatever, sometimes without even really realizing what you are singing or saying. Yeah, and then when I you actually here? look at the lyrics, you're like, oh, wait a second. <laughs> yeah. And in these messages pass through our defenses and hit directly at our heart. And we hmm. talked about this a bit actually last Last Christmas season is we did a series on some of the Christmas songs, mm-hmm. and we and then we actually talked through what are these songs actually saying and encouraged people at the time to go back and listen to and truly mean what you're saying. So it's, mm. it's just always a good practice to really think about that. Yeah, that's right. All right, let's talk about what we call interpretive keys. And if you rem- if you remember this phrase, we use this phrase during our Bible study crash course series that we did a few months back, um, and we'll link those in the show notes so that you can go back and check those out. Um, that was a great series just to give you an introductory understanding of the different genres in the Bible and the authors, and just help you read the Bible for all it's worth. Well, <clears throat> we're going to continue with this vein of interpretive keys as we talk about parables now. And by interpretive keys, we just mean these are things that you need to keep in mind when you are reading a parable so that you can interpret it properly. Because just like any portion of Scripture, it is possible to make an incorrect interpretation of the text, uh, an interpretation that the that the author or the speaker never actually intended, simply because you're not being thoughtful and rigorous about how you apply it. So let's talk about how to interpret a parable uh, with two main points. First, <clears throat> we got to know that parables are not necessarily tales of real events. They're simply illustrative stories. So you can think of a parable um, basically as a once upon a time sort of story. It's not necessarily intended to be a tale of real event. And, and it's tempting when you hear Jesus telling a parable or you think about this parable that Nathan shared. We might sometimes wonder, are, are the parables of the Bible true stories? You know, like in, in a true sense, are they true stories? And to answer that, we've got to recognize the difference between two kinds of truth. One is what we might call factual truth, and the other is what we could call essential truth. <clears throat> now, let's talk about factual truth first. A story is factually true if it depicts events that actually happened in real life, so actual historical events that actually occurred. And while some parables might be based on actual events, the purpose of a parable is not to be factually true. The point of a parable is not to recount a historical event, is my point. Their goal is to convey an important key principle. Now, so factual truth is important when it comes to historical accounts and things like that. It's not as though factual truth doesn't matter, but the focus here is that factual truth is not actually the point of a parable. Instead of simply being factually true, biblical parables are concerned with what we could call essential truth. And by that we mean that they convey a truth that's much deeper and more significant than just the simple content of the story itself. This underlying truth is the real purpose of the parable. And to illustrate that, let's look back at the parable we just read from 2 Samuel 12. We can look, for example, at at Nathan's story, which, you know, and and basically just ask a starting question, which is, had the story of the two men and and the little lamb really happened? In other words, was that story factually true? Well, who knows? We don't actually know if it actually happened. Maybe it did. Maybe it didn't. Whether it really happened, though, is not really important. It's actually not relevant to the, to the story or the purpose of this interaction at all. So what was the true purpose of the story? Well, its purpose was to confront David with his sins and to drive him to repentance by focusing on the essential truth. And what was the essential truth of this parable? Well, I think we can boil it down the way I would phrase it is that a powerful man, King David, 
had sinned against God by committing an injustice against a poor man, Uriah the Hittite. Right? That's the essential truth that's being conveyed here. So whenever we attempt to interpret a parable, we got to direct our focus to the essential message, not just to the not just to the details of the story itself. And God knew that David would react to this story. Like who knows how David would have reacted if Nathan had just said, "You did wrong." Yeah. <laughs> but he knew that he would get involved with the story, personally involved, and then have the tables turned and realize. Exactly. Now, I, I would add to this too. Now, this doesn't mean that there is not, um, th- it doesn't mean that no parable can be factually true. Yeah. The point I'm making here is that it's just not actually important whether it is or isn't. So, for example, when Jesus tells, let's say, the parable of of the vineyard. Um, now, maybe when Jesus was growing up, he heard a story about a man who owned a vineyard and wicked servants that came and helped him, but, but uh, ended up you know, becoming thieves and robbers and murderers and all that stuff. Maybe he heard that story, and that story inspired the parable that he would later tell in his ministry. That could be the case. But again, that's not the point of a parable. Yeah. And then the second interpretive key that we want to talk about right now is that most parables are designed to convey a single core principle, not multiple layered messages. So that that's a question to kind of be asking yourself as you read parables is what is the core truth? What is the single core principle that Jesus or God or whoever is getting at out of this? Um, and, and this means we must not overinterpret the parables we read in the Bible. That can be a, a trap to fall into. Not every feature in a parable is symbolic. Most of the details are there only to make the story vivid and compelling. We must not search for meaning in every single detail or else we might miss the essential truth. If you get bogged down in every different little element, you might miss miss the forest for the tree. What's that phrase? To take yeah, the, you can't see the forest, forest for the, for the tree. The tree. Yeah. And, 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 and you might miss the complete point because you're getting wrapped up in these other issues. Well, and, and this, is a, this is an interpretive uh, error that's committed all the time because it's tempting when you look at a parable to want to just uncover the meaning behind every every word thing, every detail every single thing in the story but exactly. that's just not the point no so let's again let's take the example from the parable we read in second samuel the passage tells us that the little lamb grew up with the poor man's children and ate from his plate and drank from his cup now do we need to spend time trying to uncover hidden meanings with questions like oh what did the children represent or what was Nathan symbolizing with the plate or the cup? What kind of plate was it? Was there a chip in the cup? Who knows? What does that mean? <laughs> a chip. I just went to... <laughs> it's a chip in the beast. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> um, no, no, no. Okay, no. Those details are only there to help the listener recognize how precious the lamb was to the poor man and to accentuate the rich man's cruelty, right? And in this... This interpretive key is actually it's important to remember whenever we read figurative passage, passages in the Bible, okay? We must not stretch biblical metaphors too far or else we might miss the simple point that the author is trying to make. Yeah. We can't overstress this one. This is, this is really important. You we'll will talk not... about this again, I'm sure. Well, it's going to come up as we look at the different themes yeah. and the different examples as we go, but this is, this is extremely important. <clears throat> Let's 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 move on to another question, and that is, why did Jesus speak in parables? Because as we move into the coming weeks, we're going to be talking about the parables of Christ. 
Uh, and we've got a, a few reasons why. It, it's pretty evident in reading his ministry that there are a few reasons why he did this. The first one, he wanted to make people ponder important questions. Most of Jesus' listeners were, I think I said listeners. <laughs> extraordinaire. Listener extraordinaire. <laughs> uh, so they were just mostly regular, ordinary people. They were just living life and going about their business, just like most people of today, just like you and me. And Jesus' parables were designed to challenge people to think beyond their immediate circumstances and to ponder the big questions of life, to get them out of just their daily routine and thinking about the bigger truths, thinking about things like eternity and the kingdom of God and the bigger things that often are beyond our view, but are extraordinarily important to our eternal future and our relationship with God and things like that. So Jesus tried to get people outside their typical routines so that they could think about bigger, uh, more significant spiritual realities. Yeah, and then he also taught in, in parables to enlighten honest seekers. Okay, When large crowds gathered to hear Jesus, he often took the opportunity to instruct those who were sincerely seeking truth in righteousness. And while many of his listeners resisted his teaching, many of them were receptive. Jesus actually illustrates this with the parable of the sower that's found in Matthew 13. Um, he concluded this parable with the words, anyone with ears to hear should listen and understand. And Jesus once again makes a similar point in the parable of the shepherd found in John 10. Um, I'll read this verse from John 10, verse 3. It says, the gatekeeper opens the gate for him, or the shepherd, and the sheep recognize his voice and come to him. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. Okay, Jesus calls his sheep out from the multitudes because they hear his voice and go to him. Hmm. That's that's it's so you have these groups that 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 gather around Jesus. They've heard about this Jesus. They gather around, and Jesus will often then teach in parables. And the in and these people that are honestly seeking are listening to the story. Are like David are getting wrapped in the story and are understanding what Jesus is getting at. What yeah, they saying. see the principle behind what he's saying. Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> this is why Jesus, when he told the parable of the soils, you know, he mm -hmm. he recognized that there were different groups of people mixed up in every audience that he was speaking to, and one of his goals every time was to teach those who were receptive. But <clears throat> alongside that goal is the third reason why Jesus used parables. And that was, and this is one you may not have caught before, sure. was to divide his audience. Jesus wanted to create separations within his audience, drawing out the people who would be receptive to his teaching and would draw near to, to, to God through him and those who would push him away and ignore him and go the other way. The, the sheep and the goats, if you think in terms of like, you know, ultimate kind of revelation sort of style stuff. So Jesus was an intentional polarizer. Now, if, if you picture Jesus as just like, you know, floating gently through the Middle East during his ministry, <laughs> uh, not even ruffling a single feather, like that's not a clear picture of who Jesus was. He polarized people. He sought to reveal the contents of each person's heart, not only by making them think, but also by making them choose. He wanted to bring each listener to a decision point. And, and this is a theme that comes up throughout his teaching ministry. You, you remember Jesus talking about this better to be hot or cold than lukewarm kind of idea? This is it. And to, to illustrate this or to hear this, uh, you know, just taught to us so clearly, we're going to look at Matthew chapter 13, verses 10 through 16. And this just makes this point so, so clear. <clears throat> it says this, His disciples came to him and asked him, 
Why do you use parables when you talk to the people? He replied, You are permitted to understand the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but others are not. To those who listen to my teaching, more understanding will be given, and they will have an abundance of knowledge. But for those who are not listening, even what little understanding they have will be taken away from them. That is why I use these parables, for they look, but they don't really see. They hear, but they don't really listen or understand. This fulfills the prophecy of Isaiah that says, When you hear what I say, you will not understand. And when you see what I do, you will not comprehend. For the hearts of these people are hardened, and their ears cannot hear, and they have closed their eyes, so their eyes cannot see, and their ears cannot hear, and their hearts cannot understand, and they cannot turn to me and let me heal them. But blessed are your eyes because they see, and your ears because they hear. So Jesus' teaching was designed to illuminate the minds of true seekers and to reveal the hard hearts of his opponents. In other words, those who truly desired to know God would understand Jesus' parables, and they would respond to them, just like David did. With Nathan, of course, not with Jesus himself. (laughs) But those whose hearts were hard, his words would make no sense at all. Their own hearts would prevent them from comprehending the truth and turning to God. So there's a, there's a spiritual reality that Jesus is speaking to here where some are ready and willing to come to Christ. These are the ones who Jesus calls his sheep, the ones who will hear his voice and come to him. They will recognize the truth in his voice and they'll come to him. And this way, Jesus drew many toward himself while others were driven away, which by the way, if you listen to our Christmas special a couple weeks back, mm-hmm. you heard as Buddy was narrating um, the prophecy of Simeon where Uh, Jesus is taken and dedicated in the temple. Simeon is there, um, the one who God said would not die until he sees the Messiah. And Simeon said these very words to to Jesus' mother Mary Mm -hmm. in this interaction. He says, "He He will cause many in Israel to rise and many other to fall. He will reveal the true contents of the people's hearts. He said all this in advance, and that's exactly what Jesus did in his coming ministry. Good tie in. Um, Thank you. Yeah. Um, And then a fourth reason, and this is another one that you may not um, have considered or thought about, is that Jesus taught in parables to keep his enemies at bay. At this time, the religious leaders and teachers were always looking for ways to discredit Jesus and stop his ministry. They did not like the dude. They frequently set traps for him, and they tried to get him to say something that they could use against him. Um, And this happens all throughout the Gospels. Um, and by speaking in parables, though, Jesus made it pretty much impossible for his, impo- for his opponents uh, to try to trap him and corner him. His stories made things clearer, as we just talked about, for genuine listeners, but also made things much more difficult for the corrupt religious leaders. Because the Pharisees could not retaliate against Jesus for merely telling stories even if they knew what he really meant. Yeah. <laughs> Jesus was a slippery guy. Yeah, he's like, ah, this was this was just a story. He's not like, you know, trying he's not saying something and so but I know that he means me when he's talking about that. Um that's going yeah. to be a frustrating. Yeah. <laughs> um there's a so uh, uh, there's two verses here out of Matthew 21 verses 45 and 46. It says When the leading priests and Pharisees heard this parable, and this was the parable of the vineyard, they realized he was telling the story against them. They were the wicked farmers. (laughs) They wanted to arrest him, but they were afraid of the crowds who considered Jesus to be a prophet. Yeah. 
<laughs> yeah, what yeah. would they have said to the crowd that would yeah, have been like rushing this to story was like he's so bad he didn't mean to us. <laughs> yeah. his timing was way off we got it right. yeah <laughs> jesus was really ingenious with that he he knew how to he knew how to navigate these really touchy and sticky situations with these corrupt religious leaders and parables were really his number one tactic all right number five <clears throat> one more reason that jesus uh told parables and this is not one that you know, should be rushed over. This is an important one. And that's to fulfill prophecy. Mm-hmm. Everything that Jesus did was foretold and advanced by the prophets, all the way down to his teaching style. And if we look at Matthew 13, verses 34 through 35, we see this, um, you know, stated very, very clearly. And it, this is actually a reference to Psalm chapter 78, verses 1 through 4. Uh, <clears throat> that was a weird throat clearing. No, no. <clears throat> You're prepping. That's good. Let me read. It says, Jesus always used stories and illustrations like these when speaking to the crowds. In fact, he never spoke to them without using such parables. This fulfilled what God had spoken through the prophet. I will speak to you in parables. I will explain things hidden since the creation of the world. Can't get much clearer than (laughs) I will speak to you in parables. (laughs) And there he is doing it. Oh, man. Yeah, Matthew, Matthew does a good job of making the connections to the ancient... Uh, to ancient prophecies. And again, not all of the prophecies that said that Jesus would do these things were ancient. You know, as recent as just around Jesus' birth, people were saying these things about him. So Jesus' parables were not just instructive, you know, for the purpose of teaching, or we could call them didactic. Hmm. They were further proof that he was the Messiah sent by the Father. So again, so many reasons why people could look at Jesus and know that he was the Messiah, all the way down to the manner of teaching that, that he offered. It can't be easy to teach in parables all the time. It can't be, especially, I'm not somebody who could just like extemporaneously just no, come up with a I'm great like, parable. There were three men. <clears throat> yeah. They were doing this thing. Yeah, you were the man. That's that's the point. <laughs> especially at Jesus' age, you know? Yeah. It's like, I could I could understand like maybe an like a seventy five year old you know wise seasoned guy who's just full of stories. Yeah, he's seen it all. Like it has actual like in any you know, any situation he's got a story for it. Yeah, but Jesus was my age. Yeah, <laughs> and younger <laughs> during his ministry. <laughs> oh geez, yeah, that's the Holy Spirit for you. <laughs> there you go. That's okay. the God man. All right. <laughs> On that note, let's get some doables. All right. Doable time. Um, first one right now. Start. Okay, so there's a 21 day reading plan on Bible.com called Parables and Teachings of Jesus. Uh, Doug found this the other day and was like, "Wow, that's apropos to what we're doing." Yeah. So we're gonna link that in the show notes. Spend the next 21 days going through that, and you'll um, read through the parables. We'll talk through some of the parables. It'll be a great um, combo. Yeah, if you stick with us through this series, you'll have the parables that we talk about fresh in mind as we discuss these episodes. That would be perfect harmony. And then the second doable, listen to the entire series. Get the full gambit of of these themes. We're talking about these seven themes, hitting on a bunch of these parables. Next week, um, spoiler alert, we're going to be doing the parable of the prodigal son. Mm -hmm. Uh, Doug's favorite. It is my favorite. And um, yeah, so stick with us. Oh, we're ending it there. Yeah, let's just... (laughs) Okay, bye, friends. (laughs) If you enjoyed this episode, consider giving us a rating or a review on iTunes. 
If you do, you'll help other people find us in the future. You can also listen to these episodes on YouTube. Subscribe to the Saddleback Church YouTube channel for these conversations, plus lots of video content. And if you're already listening to us on YouTube, subscribe to the Doable Discipleship Podcast on Apple Podcasts or your favorite app so you can listen in the car or wherever else you go. Don't forget to visit saddleback.com doable to check out all our previous episodes. And go to saddleback.com grow to find spiritual growth resources and view a calendar of upcoming events. Lastly, you can always get in touch with us by emailing maturity at saddleback.com. Send us your thoughts, send us your questions, your Bible questions, your life questions, whatever. Who knows? Your question just might inspire an upcoming episode. Thanks again for tuning in to Doable Discipleship. I'm Doug Jones, and I hope you'll join us again next week.